Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of 72 Weeks. My name is Daniel and I'm the Head of Outreach and Communications at New College, which is part of the University of Oxford. This podcast is called 72 Weeks as that's the average length of an undergraduate degree course here at Oxford. And in each episode I'll be talking to two people about how life can change and indeed has changed during that relatively short period of time. Each episode, the people interviewed will have a common thread, or indeed threads, that they share with the other person. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by current New College undergraduate Chen and New College graduate Sue. Chen is a fourth-year law with German law student here at New College, and Sue studied jurisprudence here in 1981 before working as a barrister in Sergeants in Chambers and is now working outside of the legal profession as a teacher. So the field of law unites my two guests, which just leaves me to say welcome and good morning to Chen and to Sue. I'm going to ask you the same question to both of you, um, but can you just tell me a little bit about your childhood, your upbringing, and what you were like in school? So I was born in the southeast of mainland China, in a charming city called Hangzhou. It was a really wonderful place to spend my early childhood, actually. It's very scenic and it's very rich in history and culture. It has really good food, which is always good. When I was eight years old, we moved to Cheshire. It wasn't an easy time. So my mum and I joined my dad in England, but he had just lost his job as a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner in Liverpool because the practice in Liverpool closed down due to the economic recession. We lived above a shop and then in a flat in a tiny housing association block of flats, so we didn't know many of the neighbours at all and there weren't many neighbours with children. However, I did really love secondary school when I got to that stage. Fascinating. Um, and Sue, what about you? What were you like in school? Um, well, I went to start, first of all, to a grammar school. Uh, my parents had both been at grammar schools, but nobody in either side of the family had ever been to university, or indeed before my parents. I don't believe anybody had been at a grammar school either. Um, so it was very much an atmosphere of you're very lucky to have this sort of education. I think everybody in the classes at the grammar school was of the same mind. We had a huge respect for our teachers. We would vie with each other to be the person to open the door for the teacher coming along the corridor. We would ask permission to unbutton a cardigan or take one off. And there was total silence whenever that was asked for. Um, so I then, in fact, went from the grammar school, having done what we then called O-levels, um, to a public school, a private public school, as we call them, uh, for A-levels. And this was really a, ex an extraordinary um, eye-opener for me. I'd never been in this sort of environment before. Um, I didn't see, I think it's fair to say, quite the same levels of um, discipline um, when I got to this uh, school where I went for A-levels. Um, but it's interesting because of the enormous respect that my parents had for education and they really valued it. And I think that's just almost part of my DNA. I just have always had this ongoing respect for it. My mother and father, um, I don't think either of them ever contemplated going to university. I don't think it was ever 
discussed even though they were at grammar schools because of their sort of social background it wasn't considered anything that they could do um, so I think I was a studious person having come from the grammar school um, in school I think I by the time I got to the uh, private public school um, I was absolutely besotted with the opportunities that were opened up by it which I hadn't honestly had at the grammar school although it was very very good in other ways is, is that when perhaps Oxford first came onto your radar then yes I mean I was, I was, it was funny because I could hear um, at my A-level school people talking about Oxbridge which I assumed was a place called Oxbridge because I'd never heard of it and although at the grammar school they had very very high expectations for us it was all really focused on, as I remember it, London University, and certainly nobody mentioned mm-hmm. Oxford or Cambridge to me. Uh, whether they didn't think it was appropriate for me, I don't know, but it wasn't in the ether. Um, so having gone to um, Charterhouse, which is where I went for A-levels, I could hear that other people were applying for this, whatever it was, and um, that's really how I got to hear of it. So Chen, when did it first enter your head then, the idea of applying to Oxford? Uh, I think looking back... It was when I was looking at what A-levels I should choose and I knew that I really liked thinking about society, what uh, shapes society, how society shapes us and how we can make society better. And at school I was incredibly gobby, so I liked arguing, I liked challenging things that I thought wasn't done quite right. and. Then I just sort of looked on the internet and saw that Oxford offered this really excellent programme called BA Jurisprudence with Law Studies in Europe, where you get to do a qualifying law degree, the three years of law, and also you get to spend a year in Munich or Bonn. And I think that just sounded really, really fantastic to me, really exciting. And I'm really grateful to my teachers as well. They did tell me from maybe when I was in year nine that I had potential. I'm really grateful that they never judged me for maybe when I first came to the school, I wasn't even fluent in English. They looked at how hard I was working and uh, perhaps they thought I had potential as well. And they really encouraged me to aim as high as I could and that the sky was the limit. So I think that's why I thought Oxford was possible. And once I'd found this programme, I think there was no holding me back. I just kept researching what you needed to get into such a programme and so sort of took as many opportunities in sixth form as possible. Well, Sue, perhaps, perhaps you can explain first. Law wasn't your first choice, was it? No, I went through a kind of tortuous route, I think, fair to say. And in fact, um, I entered New College uh, reading chemistry. Um, But I had been thinking about this um, profession law, which was a relatively new idea for me, because at that point, it wasn't really a thing that women were directed to or was even suggested. I don't think I'd ever met a lawyer or seen a lawyer. There's nothing in the form of role model at all. And by the time I had actually got to New College, I was thinking, I need to explore this. It's something I can't just leave. So I went to the um, chemistry tutor and I said, look, what should I do? And Dr. Dickens, as it then was, was extremely kind because I was quite worried about mentioning I might want to change the law. And he said, well, go and talk to the law tutors, go and find X and Y. And it happened to be 
Peter Skegg and Harvey McGregor. Um, and Peter Skegg was particularly interested in uh, medical aspects of all the sort of ethics, medical questions, which I hadn't really realised, but it was very lucky for me. And he sent me away and said, well, if you really, really want to do this, the odds are totally stacked against you, but if you really, really want to, go away and write me a couple of essays, one hour each. You can do them where you like in your room or whatever. Um, and I will give you the titles. And the titles were, number one, does the degree of intoxication with drink or drugs lessen or magnify the degree of guilt for an offence? And title two, how far do the arguments for the legalisation of abortion also apply to euthanasia? Well, that was very lucky for me because it was just the sort of thing I was interested in. So I didn't have much trouble in thinking of things to say and took them back to him. And he said, well, you know, I have to discuss this with Harvey McGregor and the warden and, you know. And then I got a little note um, via the porter as we got lots of little notes on bits of paper and postcards in those days and said, uh, come back and see me, which I did. And he said it would all be fine. And yes. he would just double check with the warden. And that was another couple of hours later. And then he said, come back and see me. And that was fine. The warden said it was OK, but I couldn't keep on changing subjects. And I really had to stick with this one. <laughs> to be that flexible and that sort of kind, really, in listening to somebody yes. who obviously was in a bit of a state and a bit muddled and... I'm sure they'd seen it all before, but I feel I was probably <laughs> rather an extreme example. And how great to have the time and inclination to encourage someone to try, mm. just to try. Um, so that was my summary of my rather right. strange route. And going back to the law course at Oxford, it is unusual in that it's called jurisprudence, isn't it? Whereas you look in other university prospectuses and it will just say BA law or whatever it may be. Can you just explain to everybody what is jurisprudence? Why does the Oxford degree course have this name attached to it? So I think the word jurisprudence means the theory of law or legal philosophy. Oxford law has a more theoretical perspective where uh, even in, for example, contract law or civil wrongs taught law, we look at uh, is the point of uh, civil wrongs to punish or to compensate. That, um, I think, makes the degree quite challenging, but also really interesting and intellectually stimulating. Mm. What do you think, Sue? Yes, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think it gives a flavour, actually, of the mm -hmm. sort of arguments that you do have in the best possible way in a, mm -hmm. in a tutorial setting. Um, because a lot of it was, well, this is the law. Ought the law be like this? Should the law be like this? Well, why is it like this? Could it be like something else? And, and so a lot of this sort of intersection between law and morality underlie... I, I was just exactly going to say what you were saying, that it, not just in the topic of jurisprudence, but actually throughout the whole tutorial system, we were analysing whether this is a good thing, a bad thing. Could we change it? If so, how would we change it? Why would we change it? What would it... All those sorts of moral questions. I think a lot of, there was a lot of discussion about philosophical issues. So I think it is that emphasis on discussing the, why do we do this? Ought we to do this? You know, what a, I think it's a very enriching, a very enriching approach yes, to all those things. The law course at Oxford covers a Roman introduction to private law, constitutional law, criminal law, legal research and mooting skills administrative law, contract law, European law and land law, as well as jurisprudence. So, Sue, how does that compare to your experience of studying law? Mm. So for 
mods and moderations at the end of the first year, I was doing Roman law, criminal law and constitutional law, which are at one with that. Mm. Uh, for finals, I, person, I, I personally did contract, jurisprudence, tort, trust, land, family, admin and labour. Family and labour were my choices. The others, everybody did. Um, I actually made a little note about my first jurisprudence lecture I, I went to, I think, um, a Dworkin lecture, and I actually said, uh, very interesting, yes, but difficult. And I think that probably does sum up jurisprudence. Very interesting, but difficult. Um, so nothing like, uh, we had nothing like uh, legal research and mooting skills, but having said that, I mean, we were legally researching every topic we did. For mooting, I, I don't think there was any such topic as mooting, but I mean, we were going to two tutorials a week where the tutors were firing questions at us and pulling sometimes, you know, one's essay to pieces, well, mine anyway, to pieces sometimes, sometimes saying they're very good, but sometimes pulling to pieces, and you had to, you know, fight back and say something in response. So I feel that was a actually pretty intensive um, education. And just tell us a little bit about your course, because it's law with German law. Right, so the jurisprudence with law studies in Europe is the standard three-year course um, of law, uh, English law, but also you get a year abroad where you go to the University of Munich or University of Bonn for a year. There you study some first-year German law courses and also one or two electives. I think in Germany it's quite daunting, uh, or at least it was daunting for me, because you, for that year you read law like the local students do. So in German, German law and German language and German law lectures and seminars. I think overall it was such a wonderful experience. I did find it very challenging at first. I didn't speak German that well, so it was really hard to know what was going on in the lectures and especially the smaller uh, class seminars. Uh, I really struggled to make friends at first, but it was so eye-opening to see a civil law legal system with a lot of coded law, especially the development of the German constitution. And eventually I did make so many friends there were actually lots of Chinese students studying law there because of the quite intimate historical collections, connections sorry, between German law and Chinese law. The former had a really formative effect on the civil code uh, in Chinese law in particular. Sounds brilliant. Um, and Sue, as somebody who's practised as a barrister, who's, who's done a law degree in Oxford, um, what one piece of advice would you give a potential applicant for um, law? So somebody who's perhaps 17, 18 years old now and, and thinking, I'd like to do a degree in law, but I perhaps don't know what it's going to entail. Well, as, as discussed, I obviously found this <laughs> quite, yeah. a, quite a difficult thing. Um, I mean, in my day, of course, I was relying, um, there was no internet. Um, we didn't have anybody in the family who knew anything about it or who did it or didn't have any family friends who did it. So it was all about uh, talking to really the people at school um, and sort of getting a, I, it's almost just like a, a sort of flavour 
of what it might entail and then trying to follow it up and trying to find out something from asking somebody else. It was all very, very people-led. Um, and that's one great leveller, isn't it, of the internet now that um, it's so accessible for anybody in, in, interested. So, so now it would be, right, get on the internet and research what you can. And if you can, even at that stage, um, actually experience um, by maybe the odd visit to some office or some sister's office or... I'm not quite sure, Every, everything is very regulated now and most sets of chambers have quite strict and very transparent, um, as it should be, um, situations for making applications even for holiday experience work. But I would say um, if you can just find somebody and actually sort of interface with what it really is, because it's very hard to convey what the job is actually like. I mean, when I try to sort of think think about how would I explain what being a barrister for 20 years was like, it's it's such a mixture of things. It's a mixture of being, to for me personally, finding the, because I did a lot of clinical negligence, finding the subject matter absolutely fascinating, um, very technical in some cases, but I was very interested in medicine anyway, so it was a great crossover for me. So being totally absorbed in the sort of theory of what's going on and the sort of factual scenario, but also really um, getting a lot out of and finding very rewarding the interplay with a variety of experts because my work involved a lot of um, um, medical experts from many different disciplines, having conference with, conferences with them and deciding you know, how the case would be run. And also, of course, more people involved um, actually being part of a set of chambers because it was and still is, I believe, really a quasi-family. The support you get from chambers is, if you like, the sort of network, um, the network sort of un underlying what you do, so that if you have a terrible day at court, you come back and you've got these marvellous people who really understand what you've been through and are there for you and to support you, although we're all self-employed. Um, nonetheless, there's this incredible bond uh, between the members of chambers. Um, and in a way, I think that's a sort of carry-on for me from new college because I must say I found the law tutors Harvey McGregor and Peter Skeg so helpful when I was going through this really difficult thing of trying to decide whether it be for me to be a solicitor or a barrister because although I knew my temperament was much more for the bar um, in those days it's difficult now to imagine what the perceived situation of women was and I was just going to read a little from um, the third edition of Henry Sassel's Brief to Council. We're talking about a 1982 edition bearing in mind that um, I was at New College 81 to 84 and the foreword this is this is a book designed as a handbook for those about to start the bar and the very first sentence in the foreword is a young man who wants to go to the bar usually starts thinking about it when he's coming towards the end of his school days, etc. So in that first sentence, it sort of encapsulates the mood of the moment that women weren't really um, included in uh, the cohort of people considering going to the bar. And I'm just going to quote a few words from this. And to be fair, one should really be reading the whole thing to get the whole thing in context. But I'll just, anybody can do that if they can find the 1982 edition. But I'll just read a few words, if I may. It's only fair to warn prospective women barristers that it is probably no profession where it is harder for them to make headway than at the bar. 
And then going over the page a little further on, we have, unless she has quite outstanding qualities and luck as well, it is almost impossible for a woman to succeed unless she can find a vacancy in really good chambers and many chambers will not accept women. And then further down the page we have, the object of this chapter is certainly not to criticise the ability of women, nor is it intended to criticise those chambers who will not accept women pupils or women members. There are intelligible reasons for this, whether a person agrees with them or not. The object is not to criticise, but to set down the cold, cruel facts. Um, so this is the atmosphere in which I was trying to decide whether to go to the bar. I was badgering Harvey McGregor um, and Peter Skegg and saying, you know, please, can I discuss this again? I still don't know what to do. And they would say, come round at six o'clock. And then we wouldn't have finished a conversation. And they'd say, right, come round at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. And then once I think I found Harvey McGregor playing tennis on the tennis courts because uh, I was so worried about what to do. And he stopped his tennis game and said, right, come and see me tomorrow, whatever it was. And just to give listeners an idea of the really amazing, actually, um, help that we were given as a sort of welfare um, exercise, as well as obviously all the cut and thrust of the tutorials, because um, as listeners might or might not know, Harvey McGregor edited a book called McGregor on Damages, and so our taught, for example, our taught sessions um, were very, you know, we were very lucky to have him teaching us about damages, that's all I can say. Um, so it was inspirational. Um, not just for me wobbling around about what I should do. And I should just say that I did, did remind me when I looked at my diary that on one occasion, I think I'd been to him many times in that week or something, he said to me, go away and write on a piece of white paper. Harvey says, I'll live to regret it if I don't go for the bar. And so I'm sure I would have done that, actually. I can't find the piece of paper, but I'm sure I, I would have done it. I was going to ask, have you still got no. the piece of paper? Um, but that was on the 8th of October, 1983. So that was at the beginning um, of my third year. I'm absolutely sure in my particular case, I would never have got to the bar without the combination of learning the independence of self-study, self-research, self-analysis, because we were left you know, for a week to do this essay. <laughs> Um, and scrawling out my 10 or 12 or 14, or even in one case for Ruth Deach, 16 sides wow. of fountain pen essays. If we hadn't had that sort of discipline together with the discussions in the tutorial and defending your position, um, you know, with all the welfare that was going on and the yes, you can do it, Sue, going on, I would never have, never have got there. So for me personally, a law degree was vital. And Sue, I just want to come back to your time as a barrister. Um, so you, you mentioned um, the odds almost seemed to be stacked against women who wanted to, to, to go and pursue a career as a barrister at the time. So what was your experience? Um, my experience at the bar was that it was very much particular chambers that stood out uh, to me as being very, when I say pro-women, not putting women above men, but treating women as equal. And I did get a tenancy in a set like that. So I luckily got a tenancy in a clinical negligence, we called it medical negligence then, a set. So that was marvellous for me, although I did a lot of general common law at the beginning because everybody did. It was regarded as that's how you cut your teeth to do that. So I was doing family law, land law, licensing. I did 
actually quite a lot of work with the Civil Aviation Authority at one point prosecuting. Um, so all, a huge range of things. Um, but um, after about five years, we could specialise uh, in clinical negligence, which is what I did. So I ended up going through a lot of, um, a lot of it was actually misdiagnosed or delayed diagnosed cancer cases and very, very sad things. And I ended up really doing a lot of brain damaged uh, babies, problems at birth, um, with huge emphasis at that time on fetal monitoring. It was very, very technical. And it was all about type two type, whatever it was, dips. And it was all looking at traces and what should the midwife have done and what should have happened here and when should this have done, two minutes earlier, 20 minutes mm -hmm. earlier, one hour earlier. Lots of very technical things. Um, so that was marvellous because the emphasis in that chambers, in my chambers at Six Pump Court, which where I was for most of the time, although I then went to sergeants in, which has the same um, specialisation. And in fact, I'm still a door tenant at Sergeant's Inn. Um, so that was very good. We were treated totally equally. But before I got to Six Pump Court, when I was trying to go through my pupillages, I did encounter um, such um, expressions as, you know, really don't want a woman in this chambers, you know, over my dead body sort of thing from a clerk in particular, which I found shocking, actually. Even then, even though I knew there was the anti-women feeling, I was shocked that someone would actually voice it. But as I'm saying, at the same time, there were many chambers where it really was not an issue. Um, so it was a mixed bag, but luckily I was ended up in the right bag. And in your opinion, have I, I, I hope things have improved? Yes, I'm absolutely sure they have improved. Absolutely sure. Um, I mean, I think it's been a one-way direction, uh, up and up and up and up. I, th I suspect you would still find um, people who felt, the odd woman who felt that in some way there'd been a bit of a sort of glass ceiling effect, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I'd be interested. I mean, I, I haven't mm -hmm. been in chambers. It'd be quite interesting to go in and ask maybe some of the older women, middle-aged middle women, and just see how it was all going. But I would hope that no student would feel, uh, as I did, that this really wasn't the thing for women. Mm. I would hope that that was totally dead and buried, that attitude, by mm. now. And certainly, from what New College, the attitude of the New College uh, tutors at the time uh, was probably very progressive, mm. actually. Um, and having a, li as a real live barrister, Harvey McGregor was a practising silk. Um, obviously, he then became warden after, just after I'd left. But he would be rushing up and down on the train or from London to Oxford and fitting in tutorials here and cases there. So we had a real sense of almost it sort of oozed, oozed around the room, a sort of sense of the hustle and bustle and the excitement of it. And... I think a, a much larger proportion than normal of the new college lawyers in my year did read for the bar. It was, I think it was three out of eight. I could be wrong about that. Mm. But um, certainly a number of us did. Um, and in many colleges, absolutely nobody did. Mm. Um, so that's quite interesting thing. It was a vocation. We did put in the hours. And if it meant staying up till three to finish something, you stayed up till three to finish it. And you still got up at five because you had to get to whatever court it was. And mm. you actually didn't mind. I don't feel I minded. Mm. I don't remember... It was just, you were on this huge sort of conveyor belt towards a, and it was fast and a lot had to be done, but it was, I don't know what the word is, a sort of project. Yeah, it was you're a very hands-on, actually. Very hands-on, yes. And you're always working towards a real goal, which is really exciting. A real goal. And then 
in some ways you've moved from one vocation to another. So you then became a teacher, which is yes. totally different again. It's, I, I don't think it's totally different because I think all the communication skills are very much number one. And I mean, there, what I've actually loved about the teaching, as well as all the talking, I quite like talking quite a lot, um, is the sort of learning something up. So the, the sort of teaching I like best is not the sort of thing that I did last year and the year before and the year before, but actually learning up a sort of new or devising a new brief, if you like, which is why I've really enjoyed in my current enrichment coordinator job, um, developing the sort of critical thinking course, really. And these sorts of things excite me because they're new and interesting and it's something I didn't know before, which is very like preparing for mm -hmm. a trial on popliteal nerve injury or something. You don't know how, how the operation's done, but you get a surgeon in and they tell you how it's done and you learn it all up and you really study it and how you put that clamp on there and what you should do and how many millimetres. And then after that, it's all gone and you're on the next one. So I think that whole thing of learning something up in a corner, almost like a frenzy because the time limits are so uh, short. Mm -hmm. But it's that getting into the absolute detail that I think quite sort of suited me, um, learning something new and the interface actually between law and medicine I found really, really interesting. And Chen, just I suppose there's another connection here because you volunteer um, with our partnered primary school in the local area. So we've recently established a formal partnership with Wood Farm Primary School, which is in Headington. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about what sort of things you're getting up to there? Wood Farm is really such a wonderful primary school. Like my teachers at school, the teachers at Wood Farm really seem to think that the sky is the limit for what the children can achieve. And I think what we do is just completing and supplementing this framework and this approach. And Sue, my final question for you today is just if you could offer Chen one piece of advice um, as she embarks on her final weeks in Oxford before embarking on a career in law, what would that one piece of advice be? Take care to take steps so that you don't have anything to regret in later life, even if people say off-putting things to you. And um, Harvey McGregor once said to me, get a piece of white paper, Sue, and write on it. Harvey says, I'll live to regret it if I don't go for the bar. That was in my third year, 8th of October, 1983. And I did exactly that. And it was one of the best bits of advice I've ever had. I think we should have some good new college merchandise with Harvey Says uh, on the back of it. I think that would be pretty, pretty cool. Um, so just a big thank you for joining me this afternoon, Chen, and to Sue. And thank you all for listening to another episode of New College's 72 Weeks. <laughs>